The teaching this week comes from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sojourn. It's a joy and an honor to be opening the scriptures in this way with you this morning. The question that Peter brings us to this morning is this, how should we think about suffering? We tend to think about questions like this as having simple answers. We like binary either or answers. How should we think about suffering? Suffering is bad. Oh, the Bible talks about suffering as something to be re- that we should rejoice in. Well, then suffering must be good. The problem with that is that the Bible treats this question and many questions like it as, uh, as far more complex than that. Peter treats that question as far more complex than that. The answer is not simply as clean as suffering is good or bad. It requires nuance, it requires precision and patience to, to consider how the Bible informs how we should think about suffering. And so let's jump in and hear what Peter has to say. To begin with, Peter in our text essentially makes two important claims about suffering. Look with me at verse, verse 12. Peter writes this, <clears throat> Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Christians, don't be surprised when you suffer as though this is something that's somehow out of the ordinary. This implies, and I think that Peter is spot on uh, in, in observing this, uh, that the natural impulse that we have when we face suffering is to be surprised. When something is hotter than we expect, we instinctively pull away, even if it's not hot enough to burn us. When you drink something that is bitter, when you were expecting it to be sweet, your reflex is probably to spit it back into the cup, even if you may have enjoyed it had you been expecting uh, what it was that you drank. Our natural impulse when we suffer, Peter acknowledges, is to be surprised and likely to immediately pull away. But the church has never been a stranger to suffering, and it shouldn't be strange to us, even today. The first important claim that Peter makes about suffering is this. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer. The second important claim that Peter makes about suffering is this. He says that rather than being surprised by suffering, rather than feeling discouraged by suffering, I should say, he says we should take it as encouragement, as a reason for hope and rejoicing. Verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 
In verse 19, suffering according to God's will is an opportunity to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. But there's an important question that these statements raise, in particular that last thing that I read from verse 19. What is suffering according to God's will? So that we don't default to answering the question of if su- is suffering good or bad with the simple answer, it's good and you should always rejoice, which would miss so much of what the Bible says about suffering, I want us to do a little bit of work here to, to, to focus in on the particular kind of suffering that Peter has in mind in this passage. Suffering as a Christian, as he puts it in verse 16. There are many different kinds of suffering, and as I've learned over the years, there are also many different ways to categorize the different kinds of suffering in the world. For our sake this morning, if you'd allow me to risk oversimplification for the sake of clarity for this particular sermon, let me give four main types of suffering. The first three are addressed elsewhere in the Bible, and so that we don't mistake, mis- mistakenly conflate them, confuse them with this fourth kind that Peter is addressing in this passage, let me tell you what they are. First, you have suffering as an evildoer. This is suffering that is your fault. Peter refers to this one in verse 15, actually, of our passage, and he gives some examples to show us that this is not the kind of suffering that he's encouraging us to rejoice and be glad in. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. The second kind of suffering is suffering at the hands of an evildoer. This is suffering that is someone else's fault, such as trauma inflicted by a perpetrator. This is addressed in many of the passages in the Bible that talk, to, talk about justice, and also those passages that talk about advocating for those who can't advocate for themselves, about God's nearness to the hurting, and so on. And then the third main kind of suffering is suffering blameless trauma. This is suffering that is no one's fault. It could be suffering on account of a storm or an earthquake, suffering on account of an accidental injury or death, suffering from cancer, suffering from the effects of a pandemic. This is addressed in places in the Bible that talk about living in a world marred by sin, the groaning of creation for full restoration, or the ultimate healing for all people and all things that is coming on the day of Christ's return. So there's suffering that is your fault, there's suffering that is someone else's fault, and suffering that is no one's fault. Those are the the first three. And the fourth kind of suffering, which is what Peter is addressing here, is unique to Christians. Peter refers to it in verse 16, as suffering as a Christian. It's what Peter is talking about specifically when, in verse 19, he refers to those who suffer according to God's will. Let's talk about this kind of suffering for just a moment. The first thing that most Christians think about when you bring up suffering as a Christian is usually somehow being reviled or ostracized or attacked for sharing your faith. That's certainly part of it, and in my sermon a few weeks ago, I dealt with that in some detail. There is Uh, There's something deeper, though. There are real kinds of suffering that we incur, that we endure, if we take Jesus at his word and we live our lives in accordance with his teaching. For one, Jesus teaches in various places that you are not to join with the ways of the world, and this can lead to some real suffering. There's not joining in the drinking parties, orgies, or lawless idolatry from last week's passage, which might affect your social status, and that in and of itself can be very difficult. But for those of you who are fine avoiding those things, there are other things. For example, there are some professions where people say things like you have to do what you have to do to get to the top. If you're not willing to do those things, which might be questionable from either a moral or an ethical standpoint, then you might not be able to get to the top. You might try to justify those questionable or sinful things by saying things like, you know what, I'm I'm not proud of what I have to do, but at least once I get to that position, think about how God could use me. Think about how God could use my position, my wealth, or whatever it is. 
This could include trying to justify any variety of things, like neglecting your spouse or children, disregarding God's commands regarding Sabbath rest, gossiping at work, slandering a competitor, dishonestly padding your resume or CV. The truth is, if it requires you to sin to get there, you should not do it. If it requires you to sin, God does not need you in that position. For the Christian, if sin is involved, the end does not justify the means. If you live in accordance with the will of God, Peter says, you will suffer on account of it. You will lose opportunities at work. Friends will abandon you. Family members may disown you. You may even get thrown into prison. And it's tempting, whenever we face suffering, it's tempting to avoid it. It's tempting to to try to avoid these situations, to lie to make it easier to get out of an invitation from a friend, to stay home rather than gathering with the saints on the Lord's Day, to take active or passive revenge rather than to forgive. It's tempting not to confess your sins to one another because in in doing so you risk humiliation or social isolation or even abandonment. It may seem like everyone around you is doing these things, and it may appear that they are benefiting because of them. How long, O Lord, we read in Psalm 94, how long, O Lord, will the wicked exult? But the way of the wicked, we're told clearly, despite its appearance, the way of the wicked does not prosper. If you have the choice of suffering now for doing good, rather than suffering in the end for choosing sin, the choice for the Christian is clear. That's what Peter is getting at in verses 17 and 18. If that's how it is with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And it's fair to call this kind of suffering real suffering. Suffering as a Christian is not fake suffering. Watching the wicked prosper in the moment and knowing that it would be so easy for you to just follow in their ways and get what they have is difficult especially if you've done these things in the past and seen how much benefit they afford you, or maybe even how they haven't seemed to be that bad for you and the people around you. In fact, Peter, uh, at this this point, he invites us explicitly to look at Jesus. You are to rejoice insofar, verse 13, as you share Christ's sufferings. Jesus himself, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was arrested and killed, he wrestled with the will of God for him to the extent that he even sweat drops of blood. But even so, he said, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus chose to suffer according to God's will. To avoid sin, to fight these temptations, requires us to follow in Jesus' footsteps. It requires nothing less than death to yourself, death to sin. To use an historical term for it, This requires mortification of the flesh. It requires killing the flesh. And that is hard. That's painful. That causes real suffering. You might have heard of someone who's facing temptation refer to it in these terms. I'm going through a trial right now. It's not improper to use those terms to talk about this kind of thing. So the question is, why do it? Why lean into, why turn towards suffering? Why endure it without trying to escape? Peter points to us, uh, points us to several specific things. For one, he points us to our future reward. Look at verse 13. He says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So Peter points to the fact that on account of your suffering now, your future celebration will be all the more wonderful. If you avoid this kind of suffering today, you are avoiding that kind of joy in the future. 
In another sense, though, we are tasting the judgment that is to come in the future today. We are tasting the judgment that is to come in the future today. When Peter refers to the judgment beginning at the household of God in verse 17, he's telling us something important. The judgment of God that will one day destroy the wicked in the present refines his children. For believers, this suffering is not a judgment for our sins, but a means of purifying the church, in the words of one commentator, to provoke believers to make a clean break with sin so that they do not have to incur the judgment that comes for sin, which will come for those outside of Christ who disobey the gospel, in Peter's words. And Peter shows us what the blessing of this refining work of God actually looks like for us. One particular blessing is the especially powerful presence of the Holy Spirit upon a believer who is insulted. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So in times of suffering of this kind, to which I can personally attest, I've also heard testimony after testimony from others that attest the same, there is a remarkable closeness that is experienced between the believer and God. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writes that, the tempta- that in temptation, God always provides the way of escape. If we look for it, we will find it. If we allow our trials, if we allow our temptations, if we allow our suffering in this regard to draw us to prayerful dependence, like we see modeled throughout the Psalms, we will find God there. In other words, the, the blessing in suffering is not the suffering itself, but the wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit in the middle of that suffering. Hear me say this clearly. Suffering is not a blessing in disguise. Suffering in and of itself is not a blessing. Instead, it is an avenue through which we experience God's loving presence with us in a particular powerful and glorious way. Another blessing that we experience, according to Peter, is the union that we experience with one another as believers. Suffering always has both individual and communal dimensions. And if you notice Peter's language, one of the greatest encouragements is that when you suffer as a Christian, you are together in this with the rest of the household of God. Beloved, in verse 12, is plural. To to give the Texas translation of verse 12, it says, Beloved, you do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon y'all to test you. The household of God, verse 17, that is a community of people, the church. To suffer as a Christian, verse 16, means that you're necessarily a part of a whole. As a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. You are a part of his body, the church. In line with Dodds' comment in his sermon last week, it is precisely in relationship with others that we experience the struggle that leads to growth and maturity. And this is why sheltering your kids has such a negative connotation. As a, as a parent, I need to guide and protect my kids. But there's a line that is so difficult to find in parenting, which is the line of letting them struggle so that they can get stronger. God is the perfect father. He knows exactly where that line is. He knows exactly what we need. And he will not let us be overcome by the circumstances in our lives. The process of struggling and growing is richly experienced together as a family, as the community of faith, as the household of God, both for our own sake and for the sake of the whole church. When we lose a member to cancer, that is a situation that is full of grief, which is appropriate. But it is also a situation that is full of hope. And watching someone suffer well can be an enormous boost to our our faith, speaking of the faith of the whole community. Think about the, the, the disciple Stephen in the book of Acts. He was stoned to death on account of his faith. 
that was, an, uh, that was incredibly grievous. There was grief across the church, but it was a powerful, upbuilding confidence booster for the church. Think about the Apostle Peter, who wrote this letter. At the end of his life, he was crucified, martyred for his faith, and that was grievous. He left behind a, a biological family, a wife and children. He, he, uh, uh, he left behind church that was grieving his loss, but that was, a, that was an experience that built up the faith of the community. Think about Jesus himself. Jesus' followers grieved when he died because they saw the outcome of his following the will of God the Father, and initially they saw no hope. They were distraught. There was silence. But then they saw in Jesus the first fruits of what this passage is talking about. Verse 13, this passage, Peter says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you, almost, that, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Or verse 19, Think about what does it mean to entrust our souls to a faithful creator? It means to look at Jesus who experienced full resurrection and restoration after his suffering ended. After the resurrection, there was no suffering for Jesus. He was raised. And his resurrection life is what you and I get a taste of in the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And what you and I are looking forward to uh, uh, in enjoying that resurrection on the day of Christ's return. So in that sense, I can tell you with full confidence that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You do not suffer without hope. You do not struggle and experience violence without hope. There is coming a day when all will be made right in your life and in the life of the whole world. And you can see that light right now as you look to Jesus. And here's the irony. Suffering, according to Peter, is not meant to isolate, but to, to bring us together as the household of God. But for some reason, that's the exact opposite of what so many of us experience today. If you suffer, that's something that you need to hide. That's what we're told. That's what we believe. If you're suffering, you need to project an image of strength. You need to conquer your suffering. You need to be stronger than it. But that's not the invitation here. Peter says that if you experience suffering according to God's will, rather than trying to avoid it or trying to hide it from others or trying to overpower it, lean into it. Entrusting your soul to God who created you because he is good. God is using the suffering that we experience on account of following him to purify the church. To be sure, God did not create his creation to suffer. The entrance of sin into the world is why suffering exists in the first place. But in God's economy, he uses what is broken for his purposes. He brings beauty from ashes. Listen to how the pastor Eugene Peterson summarizes verses 12 and 13. He says, friends, he, he, he summarizes Peter's words. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. In other words, Peter speaks a clear word. Your suffering as believers is not purposeless. It's building you up. Don't avoid faithful living because it will make you suffer. Pursue faithful living knowing that when you do suffer, something amazing will happen. You will enjoy the particular presence of the Holy Spirit. You will enjoy union with your brothers and sisters in a deeper way. You will enjoy union with Christ and his sufferings in a deeper way. You will be strengthened and matured. And on account of your suffering, your rejoicing on the day of Christ's return will be all the more exuberant. 
That's not possible without suffering. If you remember what Peter says at the beginning of his letter, he, he, he points in his opening verses to the fact that Christ suffered, and then, only then, was he glorified. You might be familiar with, with when Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan. You might remember that the temptation from Satan was just this. He told Jesus, you can have glory without suffering. But Jesus turned away from that temptation. And instead, he set his face toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, towards his suffering, knowing that suffering is the only way to victory. And he did that for us, for our sake, for you and for me. This suffering was not purposeless. This suffering was the way to secure salvation for the whole world through self-donation, to borrow a phrase from, from Dodds in his sermon last week. We are unable to weather the temptation like Jesus did perfectly and without sinning. You and I have failed, we do fail, and we will continue to fail, but that's exactly why Jesus had to come for you and for me so that the pressure of our eternal life and joy and blessing and satisfaction does not rest on our own strength, on, uh, on, on our ability to fight temptation, but on the strength of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Praise be to Jesus, our Lord, for his glorious mercy and grace. And not only did Jesus' suffering uh, serve to forgive us from the future penalty of our sins, but his suffering serves to free us in the present from our bondage to our sins. In Christ, because, verse 14, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, you too can turn towards your suffering rather than away from it, not just hoping, but knowing that it will work out for good. Romans 8, 28, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you see that? Jesus promised that upon his departure, his Father would send the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to dwell with us, giving us peace, joy, love, union with God, union with one another, and the power to work in us to will and to work for God's good pleasure. These are things that we enjoy now because we have the Holy Spirit. And so what good could possibly come from suffering? In the future, you get to anticipate the final consummation of joy. You will enjoy that day more because of your suffering today. In the present, now you have hope, you have blessing, you have union with Christ, you have union with others, and you have the Spirit of glory and of God resting upon you. And so how should we think about suffering? The charge is this. Verse 19, Therefore, let, us, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. As Eugene Peterson translated that verse as well, he says, So if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said, take it in stride. Trust him. He knows what he's doing, and he'll keep on doing it. Every time you suffer, you will face temptation. Peter's charge, continue in the faith. The reward will be worth it, but not only that, today there is growth to be experienced, deeper relationships to be found, and profound contentment to be enjoyed. Peace I give to you, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Peace I give to you. Brothers and sisters, this is the invitation to trust in the way and the words of Jesus and there find peace in the middle of a world that, that so often seems to be falling apart at the seams. 
God invites us into his household to share his table with him so that he might give us love, joy, and peace. And then he sends us out to our neighbors to extend, extend that same invitation. Though suffering may come as we do so, we get to press on with faith and hope, looking to Jesus as our model, our savior, our friend, entrusting our souls to our faithful creator while doing good. Sojourn, may that be true of us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and for this time that you've given us to share even in this remote way together. I pray that you would weave the truth of these verses deep within our souls, Lord. I pray that on account of our encountering your word like this right now, that you would change us, that we would be different men, women, children as a result of this experience with you uh, through your Holy Spirit and your word. Um, that, that, you would, that you would change us, that you would make us more faithful, that you'd make us better lovers of you, better lovers of our neighbors, um, and that you would teach us, that you would help us to fight the temptation to avoid suffering, but to lean in, watching with trust as you do your work within us, among us, and in the world. We trust you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.